chapter 14, verse 1, he moves on to the next city. The same thing happened in Iconium when Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a large group of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there for a considerable time, speaking out courageously for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace, granting miraculous signs and wonders to be performed through their hands. But the population of the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when both the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their rulers, made an attempt to mistreat them and stone them, Paul and Barnabas learned about it and fled to the Lyconium cities, to the Lyconium cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region. There they continued to proclaim the good news. So Iconium is modern-day Konia. It stood about 85 miles southeast of Antioch. And they are called the apostles here in the city by Luke. But when Luke uses the words apostle, he doesn't mean, he's not saying that Paul and Barnabas are the official 12 in that kind of a sense. In fact, apostles is not even used that much throughout the book of Acts, really. He is using this in just the traditional, most basic sense of the Greek word, the sent ones. They were sent, and they were. They were commissioned and sent by the Antioch church and the Jerusalem church to go out and do missions here. And so what it's saying is that some are siding with the native Hebraic Jews who will not embrace Jesus the Messiah, and others were siding with the, the siding with the sent ones of Paul and Barnabas and, and embracing Jesus as the Messiah. When Luke uses this, he uses it more in this sense of 2 Corinthians 8, 22, 23, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. There, Paul just uses it in the generic sense of the sent ones, ones called by God and sent out into the world. Some people believe that Paul was claiming to be like one of the 12 apostles and the one they should have wait, wait for, but we talked about that back in the chapter 1, and there doesn't seem to be any evidence there. And him just using the word in a generic sense is not a huge argument for being considered an apostle. Nor is that really Paul. Paul was not one to fight and argue for credentials or positions and that kind of stuff. If you read the rest of his letters, he really much is saying that that's all nothing. It doesn't mean anything. So this doesn't seem to be his use here. He is, Luke is using this more in the sense that they have the authority and the power of God to speak on his behalf and to do miracles, and they are coming on the authority of the church as a whole to represent um, the apostles, the official apostles, and the message of Christ and the church as a witness here in this sense. Once again, we're going to see this pattern over and over and over again where the Jews are going to reject them. Um, few, will, few of the Jews will come to Christ, few of them will embrace it, but the overall impression is that the Jews will reject it, especially the upper echelon, the elite, and they will reject them, and then they will stir up problems. They will, they, the Jews have really learned how to manipulate the politics of Rome in order to get people attacked and that kind of stuff. And one of the reasons that the, the Luke is really going to emphasize this is he's, he's not trying to be anti-Semitic. It's hard to be anti-Semitic when you're claiming that a Semitic Jew is your God and you're bowing down to him and following him and willing to die for him. It's not anti-Semitic. We talked about this already. It's not an abandoning of the Jews and walking away from them. It's, it's just painting the reality of what's happening. This is a continued message throughout the First Testament 
um, that the people who often be cl- are closest to the Word of God and the teachings throughout the years tend to be the ones who misunderstanding when he comes the most because we tend to develop the greatest, most rigid traditions of what it should be and what it should not be. And when God does new things and blows up God boxes, it's really hard for us to embrace that. And so it becomes a warning to us to not do the same thing. And this is the exact point that Paul's going to make in Romans 9, 10, 11, is that he walked away from the Jews and he went to the Gentiles, walk away for lack of a better phrase, um, put him in timeout. That's the one I, I like the most. Um, put them in timeout. Um, they're in timeout. And then when you put your kids in timeout, you want to bring them back in because you love them and they're part of your family. Unless they're making you go insane and then you want to run away. But your intention being put them back out. But he also makes the warning like, God can do it to the church too and the Gentiles as well. If he, did, if he put the Jews in timeout and moved to the Gentiles and made them the focus, then he can also put the Jews in, or the Gentiles in timeout and move back to the Jews and make them the focus. The idea is not that one is special, more special than the other, but that they're both to be included in the kingdom of God. But when you shake your fist at God, God's going to put you in timeout and use other people. And sometimes in the first instance, we see God using non-believers with like people like Shamgar in the book of Judges and, and, and even people like Jephthah, who's not really a believer, even though he's a Jew, in order to do his things. So this is the point that he's making. The other point that we're going to see this pattern over again so you understand the judgment is coming in 70 AD. Jesus made it very clear that in 70 AD that they didn't turn back to God and, and they didn't change. Um, Jesus went to the fig tree and it wasn't producing anything and that represented Israel. And then he came back to it again and it still wasn't producing and then he cursed it. And he basically forbid it to bear anything ever again. And then that was a representative of Israel. And basically said if they did not repent and come back then Judgment is coming. The city would be destroyed. And everything that um, the Romans did when they came in and destroyed the temple and, and scattered the Jews out of the nation and they lost the promised land and went literally to the four winds and have been there ever since until the British mandate of 1948 when England gave it back to them. But they're still scattered all over the place and they still don't really have that country. This is a judgment of God for rejection. And it's the same thing that he did in exile with them and the same thing that he can do for us as well. And it's explained why God is justified in that. And it also becomes a little taste of the bigger global judgments of the book of Revelation that he will implement on the world and different nations and different people for walking away. This is why we're going to keep seeing this pattern over and over again. It's not an anti-Semitic pattern, but an understanding of what the Jews are really doing and why they're suffering the consequences that they are. But always, always, the door is still always open. The door is still always open. Chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra sat a man who could not use his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he was speaking when Paul stared intently at him and saw he had faith to be healed. He said with a loud voice, Stand upright upon your feet. And the man leaped up and began walking. And so when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the human form. They began to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
And the priests of the temple of Zeus, located just outside the city, brought the bulls and the garlands to the city gates, and he and the crowds wanted to offer the sacrifices to them. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard about it, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you not doing the, why are you doing these things? We too are men with human natures, just like you. We are proclaiming the good news to you, so that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness by doing good, by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying you with food and your hearts with joy. Even by saying these things, they scarcely persuaded the crowds not to offer sacrifices to them. This just shows you this deeply entrenched, superstitious, mythological beliefs that gripped the ancient world. Paul and Barnabas, acting in the same spirit, with the same power, in the same mode as Jesus, does a healing. And there's a lot of healing people who are crippled here because the idea is, once again, Peter has done... Jesus has done these things and Peter and Paul and Philip and Stephen and other people are reduplicating these things to show that they are doing the same thing as Jesus. The difference is where Jesus spoke with his own authority, they're speaking in the name of Christ. But the implication is the same Christ that came to them physically and walked among them is the same one working through them now, expanding his body. And we're, so we're seeing this. But as we're getting more further away from the Jews, who are not as superstitious and mythological as the Greeks are, we're going to see that they're going to interpret this in a different way. Now in this region, and so they mistake them for Zeus and Hermes. Zeus is the god of thunder, the god of the storm, the god of the rain, anything that has to do with storm and rain and thunder. And he is considered the most high god in all of Greek mythology with the greatest power. And he rules over all the pagan gods. Before the Greeks came along, obviously the Romans are going to call him Jupiter. But before the Greeks came along, Zeus was known as Baal. And so this is the storm god for the book of Judges and the book of Kings and that kind of stuff. And it's the same idea with the lightning bolt and the storm. And so Zeus is portrayed as this powerful, dominant god who everyone fears, including the other gods. Hermes is the messenger god. Now, not messenger god like the Pony Express or that kind of stuff where he just, you know, he's seen with those little wings on his feet and is it FTL or whatever, uses him as a messenger or that kind of stuff. Like he's just running around delivering letters. He is a god of mystery, a god of secret knowledge. He is the god that brings secret knowledge from the gods back to the people. Not like, hey, how are you doing? Miss you, hope everything's going well kind of a thing. But messages that help you become enlightened or guide you on your journey to, to defeat great empires and that kind of stuff. And so he is wrapped up with magic and mystery and all that kind of stuff. He's often seen as the spokesperson representing Zeus's power and secret knowledge. He is a highly, highly revered god among intelligentias and people who believe that secret knowledge will make you gods and, and help you become enlightened. If you remember the teachings on misreligions, he's the center of that. And the messages he brings, brings you power and enlightenment, that kind of stuff. And only the worthy are able to figure out his messages. For whatever reason, they immediately interpret Paul as Hermes because he's the one doing most of the speaking 
And what he seems to be speaking is new to them and about gods and, and new information about salvation and, and that kind of stuff. And they think that Barnabas is Zeus. And we don't know exactly. Maybe Barnabas kind of looked like Zeus um, um, and in some kind of way. Zeus was always portrayed as a big, like, um, pluming white hair and a white beard and that kind of stuff in a lot of the statues. And so maybe they interpret that way. Now, one of the reasons that they might have been immediately go to this is that there is a document that we have found from the Greek cultures of this time period called the Ovid Metamorphosis. And it's a story of this old man and this old woman who were living and Zeus and Hermes come and visit the region. And everywhere they go, nobody will invite them in. They don't know that it's Zeus and Hermes yet, but nobody will invite them in. And this old man and this old woman eventually invite Zeus in and Hermes and, and they feed them and take care of them. And, and Zeus and Hermes bless them with a child that they've never been able to have and all this wealth and all this kind of stuff and prosperity and long life and all that kind of stuff. And this story, and then they kind of curse and judge the entire region for not inviting them in and not taking care of it. And so the, the region was cursed and condemned and went into poverty and great famine and all this kind of stuff. But this, this couple was thriving and that kind of stuff. And this region basically swore that they would never miss it again. They would never make that mistake again. You do not want to get on the bad side of the gods. And remember, the gods don't ever punish you for moral offenses. The gods are not moral themselves. They don't even know what morality is. They punish you for offenses and sleight of hands. Kind of like the punk teenagers in the hallway who just need to grow up and you accidentally bump into them and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, we want to fight? Like, why? And you're like, dude, it was just an accident. But they're just so offended and they want to pound you. It's that kind of a stuff. Okay? Or you accidentally bump into their car and smudge the paint. and Or the, 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 not the paint, but just put a smudge on. And they're like, what the heck? That's my car. That's how the gods operate. You just accidentally like take their cow somewhere else and they get ticked and strike you with fame and that kind of stuff. The people feared that constantly, all the time, just any kind of unknown, unspoken sleight of hand against the gods. And so they really dedicated themselves to never missing that again. And the gods don't ever come and visit that much either. And the gods don't really demonstrate great acts of power either because they don't care about humans that much. In their pagan way of thinking, here are these two beings, one who is acting like Hermes, another one who might look like Zeus, and they're doing miracles. And they don't know anything about Jesus. They don't fully comprehend this. They hear the word and they hear the message, but they don't fully understand. They immediately interpret these two. And it's, you almost see this paranoia, like we're not going to mess up again. And as Paul and Barnabas are trying to convince them they're not that, they're like, no, 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 not falling for that one. Like, we're not going to get cursed in the region again. They immediately bring sacrifices and stuff to Paul and Barnabas, and they begin to make sacrifices to them and honor them. And you're like, Maybe the reason that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what was happening at first is it says that they were speaking in the Lyconian language. And it might have been either a dialect that they couldn't fully understand or a different language completely that they didn't understand, which means maybe Paul and Barnabas were speaking through an interpreter, which maybe explains why they were having a hard time communicating to the people exactly what they were talking about. And they didn't understand what's happening. So before they knew it, they have like an altar being spread out before them as sacrifices. Then they quickly begin to try to explain they're not that. They're not that at all. And so there's just mass confusion in this as they're trying to sort it out. But 
what they immediately go to is they begin to try to explain who they are and what they're not. And what they immediately go to is we worship and serve the God who created and rules over the heaven, the sky, and the sea. Now, this is a big deal because there is no pagan God who rules over all these things. There's a pagan God of the sky. There's a pagan God of the earth, the soil, not the entire earth in a planet sense, but the earth soil and only the earth soil in the Greek territories. Different God would rule over the Greek, the, the territories of China or Africa or something like that. Or they're just of the sea or just like Poseidon or something like that. And the idea that a God would be ruling over all these things, not bound or limited to a certain region or a certain element in creation or nature, Zeus was definitely not that. He was only the storm. Now, he could put the fear of God into the other gods and try to get them to do things in their realms, but there are lots of stories of the other gods rebelling against them or sneaking behind his back and not having control over them. All he could control was the storm. And this is immediately where Paul goes because Paul gets, they're not understanding Christ. Christ is unique. Christ is different. They have no concept of that. But if they can go straight to the heart of the matter, our God is over all these. It's not limited. That can clear up the misunderstanding quickly. That's what they go to. And then he says, in past generations, he allowed the nations to go in their own way. Now, this is interesting. God allowed the nations to go in their own way kind of develop their own things. He made it very clear to them who he was. It's in their conscience. It's in creation. And, and he sends prophets constantly to the people of all the different nations throughout the last several thousand years. But overall, he let them go their own path because all God had was general revelation. He had specific revelation too, but that was bound up in the Torah and the tiny little region of Israel that was no bigger than the state of New Jersey. And Israel wasn't doing that hot of a job of being an attractive light to the entire world to gather them in. And so he allowed them to go in their own ways because of their ignorance and because of their understanding, misunderstanding. But now that Christ was here, fully revealed, doing things that no God had ever done, bringing you more specific and special revelation, Paul is warning now that the time of ignorance and the time of a lesser judgment is over with. It's over with. This is the same argument that the author of Hebrews makes that, yes, Christ is superior to the First Testament. And yes, Christ brings a superior blessing than the First Testament. The First Testament, only, the law only brought, the Abrahamic law only brought physical blessings. It promised a spiritual blessing, a day that the heavens would be opened up and rejoined with earth. But it couldn't bring that. It couldn't offer that. It couldn't fulfill that. Now, Christ brings a greater blessing, a greater salvation, spiritual eternality, actually being with God, heaven and earth being rejoined together. But Hebrews also says, with a greater being, also brings a greater judgment for rejecting him. And there are greater consequences. Where the law only brought physical death, the, the, the new covenant brings spiritual death. Do not fear the one who can kill or destroy the body, but fear the one who destroys the spirit. Okay, and so this is what Paul is warning is the time of ignorance of just physical judgments and physical death for rejecting the gospel over with because now we know, now we have Christ. We came to help you leave these mystical, mystery, pagan witchcraft things behind. 
the ones that don't bring fulfillment, the ones that leave you trembling in fear all the time of what the gods are going to do, the ones that you are only sacrificing to us right now because you're so afraid of what's going to happen if you screw up again with these gods. And yes, Christ brings a greater judgment that's coming, but you don't have to be under that. There's no guarantee with the pagan gods. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. You can get punished by them for just any slight whatever at any moment and have no idea why you're being punished or what you've done. But what Paul is saying is, I offer you a way to escape that. A promise, a guarantee, a covenant, salvation, an intimate relationship with a God that actually cares about you. And this is what Paul is preaching and moving them away from as he's judging or as he's helping them understand that he's not a god and he's only a representative of these things. The problem is he had a hard time persuading them. And this could be a combination of a lot of things. We're not given a lot of depth in here, but it could be a combination of the broken down of translations and the language. It could be fear. There's a lot of fear, panic in the streets. You try to go into a mob of crowd of people and like try to rationalize with them. That doesn't work. It's called emotional flooding in psychology. And when you're emotionally flooded, you literally cannot project, process reason or logic in any kind of a way. And so Paul was having a hard time communicating to this of a better understanding. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And after winning the crowds over, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, presuming him dead. But after the disciples had surrounded him, they got up and went back into the city. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. So the Jews come all the way from Antioch. They're spending a lot of money and time in order to sail across the Mediterranean, at least the quarter top quadrant, all the way up into um, Turkey and then traveling through that region just to say, this guy is a scumbag. You shouldn't listen to him. And you know how convincing they have to be when they take a fanatic crowd that is desperate and worshiping Paul and Barnabas and then turn them against them in order to kill them. And maybe they just played on their frauds and they're using you. I don't know, but it doesn't take much to turn the tide if you know how to use the right words. And so they actually physically beat Paul. And they physically beat him to the point that they presume he's dead. Probably with the lictor's rod in some kind of a way. And they physically beat him down and Barnabas and that kind of stuff. And then it says that the believers came and surrounded him and put their hands on him. Now it's hard to know what this actually means. The Greek here is very difficult. We don't know whether they surrounded and laid their hands on him and threw their bodies on Paul like a human shield in order to keep him from literally being beaten to death all the way, or if they laid their hands on him and healed him so that he could get up. So did they, they form a human shield over him and then pick him up and carry him out from trouble, or did they lay their hands on and heal him? Either one is totally possible with God. And it's just hard to know from the Greek structure here that what, what's really going on here. Maybe we'll discover some ancient writing that will give us better insights to how the Greek works and we'll have a better meaning here. Um, it's not that it was poorly communicated. It's just Luke is using a phrase in a grammatical structure we are not used to. And the only way we can figure these things out is by reading these things in other documents and then seeing patterns, right? I mean, this is how we all learned English. We basically listened to our parents go, blah, 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 when you're one and two years old, and eventually you put it all together 
by just <laughs> hearing it all the time. I always think that's like the most phenomenal thing. <laughs> like, we just we just don't have an understanding the Greek here. So he moves on to Derby. Derby was mo- is modern Kitai. It was about sixty miles further to the southeast on the eastern border of the Galatian province. And so he begins to preach here. Verse twenty one. 